Welcome to the Software Lifecycle Stories podcast. We bring you stories of what worked and sometimes what did not in the course of discovering, designing, developing, delivering and using software-based solutions as shared by practitioners who went through these situations. talks about efficient algorithms about writing efficiently versus writing fast the skills an architect needs and also the differences in architecting large versus small applications and finally tips for women who need to or want to take a break in their career listen on hi anpama uh, good to talk to you after a long time uh, welcome to the show thanks you uh same here it's been nice catching up with you yeah actually i have a lot of questions for you but then we'll uh, go as per the usual format that is with uh, you introducing yourself and based on that and you know, whatever comes up and uh, as i mentioned it's a you know, freewheeling conversation there is no nothing right or wrong it is all about your experiences and what our listeners can learn from that if i were to introduce myself with a one liner i would uh, like to call myself a passionate programmer and of course uh, a problem solver that's how i think of myself um having said that i've been um, working in the software industry for the past 25 years uh, i started wow. my career as a programmer way back in 1992 um Uh, graduated out of just after graduation out of college and uh, have been working with various organization with uh, different domain focus um, uh, initially i was involved with a group of companies which was uh, breweries distilleries and uh, we were a uh, in group software uh, wing of the Uh, company group and i was uh, uh, working there as a programmer and uh, later on i moved to um, an offshore uh, setup in india where, where uh, product offshoring was uh, popular during those days and uh, uh, so we were providing developer support on internet forums internet early days of internet and uh, i was working as a developer there and then moved on to a services product company uh, where i worked for long 13 14 years uh, where i have uh, held multiple roles from a junior programmer to a product architect working on various domains uh, and services product architecture and storage and uh, e-commerce then i took a break from regular full time employment and started working uh, as a freelancer and uh, uh, got together with a, a few other women of similar profile and uh, we as a group started uh, taking up 
projects and delivering projects to uh, small uh, startups and small companies. I did this for about four or five years and then again got back onto a mainstream uh, corporate job uh, wherein I, I was involved with a company which uh, delivered a product in uh, health uh, tech space. Uh, so I was with this in the health tech domain uh, till about three months ago and uh, currently on a break just stepping back to think what I want to do next. I've been uh, on the on the other side I've also handled responsibilities of uh, leading teams, you know, uh, delivering projects, uh, coordinating with customers and all the works as a engineering manager, senior engineering manager with these companies. Um, it's been a very interesting, exciting journey, especially for the fact that I have got exposure to uh, various different domains in manufacturing, customer service, um, services, tech services, storage, uh, health tech. And it's been very fascinating uh, to learn and to contribute in very many of these roles. That's what I has kept me ticking and uh, wanting to do more. Yeah, um, wonderful. Yeah, I think congratulations on you know, 25 years. Uh, so as an architect, <laughs> that is the first question that I uh, have for you is that uh, in terms of technologies, you know, today there seem to be you know, too many elements or components of technologies, particularly if you are putting together an architecture. Uh, how have you seen the evolution of, let's say, architecting a large system, maybe 15 years ago, uh, to today? What are maybe some additional complexities that you've had to deal with? Um, you're, you're right. Um, um, if I were to recount on how uh, architecting as, uh, as, a, as a practice um, started for me. So my first uh, tryst with an architectural, um, architectural uh, challenge, I would say, if I think back, was in my uh, very first job when I just had finished my probation with my first uh, job. Uh, I was assigned uh, with a with a project that I had to uh, develop a materials requirement uh, planner for a, a brewery distillery. And uh, being a young developer out of college, the biggest thing in my mind, uh, and when, when I say material requirement planning, what it involved was basically the uh, distillery or the brewery would come out with a plan, yearly plan, their production plan of how much liquor would they be selling for the coming year. And that had to be broken down into uh, inventory items that are required to uh, meet that production plan. And uh, being the young developer, um, I just uh, took it head on. For me, it was a challenge in, you know, it was a uh, tree explosion in my mind in terms of um, algorithm that I had to get right. 
okay and uh, i was very uh, excited to to have cracked the algorithm and how to get it all right and it was all working and uh, i kind of uh, finished it in probably half the budgeted time and i went back to my uh, senior manager and i told her i'm done you can you just take a look at it and let me know if i'm on the right track and uh, 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 she was a very senior person and she actually gave me a smile and said yeah let me check and then she checked and she said perfect you got your algorithm right can you just run it with your uh, with the actual data i can get you uh, the actual production plan uh, from one of the uh, companies and you please run it with that and then see uh, how the outcome is and i started doing this and and the on the whole thing um, started running running and would never end and wow. <laughs> i realized that uh, now now i didn't i didn't know what to do because i didn't know whether i was looping infinitely somewhere that it didn't stop or uh, was there something else that was happening and uh, then i went back to her and and said this is happening what do i do uh, so she said i think your algorithm is right there is nothing it's just that it's inefficient maybe it's just taking too long to do what it's supposed to do so just leave it overnight let's time it and see how much does it take okay so that's when i would say i would think of you know if i think back that would be my first problem in architecture where i had to i had coded up everything and then i had to now relook at everything that i had done to say uh you know whether i have to scrap this and redo this okay but then uh, luckily for me with uh, some help from my senior colleagues at that time i could kind of tweak my algorithm and say that okay i we bring down the performance time uh, for this uh, particular uh, run and what took about uh, uh, 10 15 hours to run a small production plan this was a very small distillery in the entire set of distilleries that we were rolling this out for and uh, when and then we had to bring it down to 15 minutes and we did it and that is when i actually first time i realized that requirements uh, you know what what looks on paper is very different from what the requirements should be considered from for, from the point of view of a developer and that was my first and uh, going on um that way um uh, what i what i realized um is that um, till about 2000 or late 1998 uh, around that time there was really no formalism of software architecture it was as much widespread um in the product development uh, life cycle every developer ought to be thinking about all architectural um, requirements or considerations and also uh, it was not really something that once people decided what operating system what platform and what programming language um, there wasn't much um, a separate thought invested in software architecture as such 
people used to typically handle it depending on the challenges that saw that, that, that they saw in the in the uh, implementation of a particular um, a, a project or a particular problem solution but towards to, uh, 1998 is when i remember when i first used any formal uh, method of architecture and in those days it was uh, quite popular and was uh, known as a 4 plus 1 uh, model view of architecture that was pretty much uh, very uh, early ones at least in my experience uh, i would think of that as a successor uh, to uh, the uh, the ever popular uml thing that was people use people were using um, in design in software design uml was pretty much a software design tool and people started seeing a lot of gaps in in those uh, uh, formalisms or in methodologies and tools and they started asking question how do i represent the uml uh, diagram or in the uml, UML methodology and then, and then uh, people probably woke up to the fact that there are things that cannot fit into uh, design or UML. And therefore, uh, probably this requires something different. And this, the, the 4 plus 1 model that um, I have used was still just a representational model rather than a software architecture as a practice. So this is the first... Uh, exposure to software architecture model at that time and later on uh, when internet became ubiquitous there were a lot of things in the software component that had to be rethought because of you know now the, the client server architecture was passe and uh, uh, people were moving into the uh, web application uh, models and a lot of things that work one way in the client, ser uh, client server world wouldn't work in the web world and we think how to do these things uh, say for example uh, HTTP sessions uh, stateless sessions and uh, session maintenance were costly in the web model all these uh, things became uh, real concerns when we tried to uh, build, distribute, and uh, run applications on the uh, remote internet nodes. So, so what happened was there were in parallel a lot of things that emerged. Uh, on one hand, the application architectures were being layered, what we know today as multi-layered architecture. Uh, early days of those, uh, this was around 1999 2000 time when and then there were uh, a lot of focus put on transaction management uh, we, we used to have uh, dedicated servers for transaction management and uh, how do we handle the uh, latency between http sessions vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the database to query performance so a lot of these uh, things uh, came to the fore and people start inventing solutions in a lot of these little pockets and uh, new paradigms emerged and that is when uh, probably around what what i remember is around 2000 when i first 
attended one of the developer events uh, by Microsoft is when for the first time I heard one of the speakers put together a total complete definition of what software architecture is all about. Until then, it was always a big debate about is design architecture or uh, is uh, are some parts of design is considered as architecture or is architecture nothing but high level design, right? All, all these raging debates were happening, but very formal definitions of what software architecture is and what software architecture practice is, what should an architect do, all these uh, were not very clear. It only emerged once the web technologies became very popular and widely used. That is when the architecture definitions started to emerge more clearly. So people at that point understood architecture as something that caters to all your non-functional requirements of an application. That was, that was a, a, a very uh, a concise definition of a very complex concept, uh, I would say. So when that happened, a lot of things moved forward very fast. Now people knew what was considered architecture. Now people started focusing that as a separate practice where you needed um, somebody in the team who would look at architecture, architectural considerations for an application separately, work on it and build these uh, requirements, uh, get a buy-in from the customer on non-functional requirements, educate them about non functional requirements and then um, build that into the design and then percolate it down to code and then probably review it back that review the code back to see whether um, all the architectural considerations that were designed have been met in the code all this started happening slowly around that and that is when uh, architecture became a formal uh, methodology or practice and uh, being that being that that was that was the beginning of the definition and how um, we started implementing architectures as a, a separate step in the application development a lot of tools were not available okay i mean in the sense uh, there were very few uh, tools. There was not so much standardization, like any other thing that is emerging, right? There are not many tools to support what, what you wanted to do. And so pretty much everything that you did had to be homegrown, okay? I remember um, one, of the, um, one of the projects that I worked on, it, this was, this was uh, early days, it was a very uh, early, e-commerce uh, project that I worked on in, in the year 2000. And um, so probably first version of um, what we can see in Flipkart today uh, in those days. And, uh, and one of the biggest thing that we faced, biggest problem or challenge that we faced in, one of the, uh, in that project was that suddenly, uh, product they, they launched a, a, 
discount scheme or a you know um, a festival bonanza kind of a thing for the customers and uh, there was a surge and spike in the traffic to the site the number of users hitting the site spiked uh, 10 times uh, when they when they announced the uh, scheme so uh, the the uh, the product the, the the application which was running so smoothly hitherto kind of started uh, started failing and would go down uh, once in a while after a number of users uh, hit the site and uh, and we uh, realized on analysis that there was uh, actually a memory leak and uh, a stack overflow that was happening uh, because of a particular leak memory leak that was happening in the application and the, and and to solve that problem i remember that we had to sit through profile profile the application sat in the data center of the um, product where where it was hosted and then we actually profiled the application uh, with the profiler that was available so profiler was pretty much the only tool that was available for us and we profiled and saw where the uh, the memory was getting consumed and what was leaking and it was about 3 4 days of 3 days of effort to even analyze and find out what what was going wrong and then after knowing what was going wrong we had a, a in the self referencing table in the in the database and we had to we had to redo that uh, that particular piece of the logic and that took us another 3 4 days okay while we were man we were able to manage the customers uh, load by provisioning alternate servers and stuff like that but it still took us so much time to turn around because mainly of lack of tools if you compare to what is available today today you could possibly run a profiler as it is happening and catch what is happening uh, where where is the uh, overflow or the memory hop happening in probably 10 15 minutes if you uh, watch the, the profiling tools available today so the the only profiling tool was a database profiling tool uh, in those days so a lot of architects work used to be in the trenches that you had to get tied down deep uh, into the code and into few tools that are available and uh, manage all the all your architectural elements and uh, their functioning correctly that was the challenge of the architecting job uh, in the early years with uh, we if we compare what happens today in a similar situation that that happened uh, uh, probably recently uh, with one of the products that i was working on the your approach is very different so uh, when when we found that the self referencing table was causing a problem we had to write a really uh, our own solution uh, to a self referencing table and we had to spread it out make it flat uh, build our own uh, little using temporary tables and that's how uh, we solved the problem then but today that's not how uh, we go about it if you have if you have if you know that that particular 
query is intensive, memory intensive, or processing intensive. I know that there is a caching server that I can add on, slap it on my on top of my application server, and I just reroute my uh, query results to the cache, and uh, I am done. Probably I can get the fix done in uh, in a day, especially if your um, application is cloud hosted and you are using the cloud infrastructure services and cloud-based services for your application server, caching server, all of them are available. So typically, uh, the architect's job uh, is kind of one used to be like that of a, a you know mechanic who knew every nut and bolt machine and would get under the car to uh, uh, do everything uh, required to build and to maintain the car earlier on. Now it has become something that you ought to be more uh, aware and uh, knowledgeable and intelligent about various tools that are available for you. It's, it's become pretty much uh, a kind of assembling of tools. Okay, So it, it's, it's pretty much um, that today so the shift in the um, job for the architect is that um, rather than it, it's it's still the knowledge of what can cause a query to take more time is still indispensable you need to be able to say that these kinds of queries are expensive and these kinds of uh, this kind of algorithm is bad and and those those basics have not changed you need to be able to analyze and put your finger on on the architectural issues in the application right up front and through the life of you. but in addition to that you also need to be uh, much more knowledgeable about what other things are available which you can um, gather and assemble and provide solution in the quickest time. That, uh, that is the uh, additional thing that you have to be able to do today. Okay, Wonderful. without that, even with best of knowledge of what is the problem or what problem needs to be solved, tools will be, we, we can leverage. Uh, to attain those solutions, it will be very difficult to give uh, cost-effective, um, acceptable solutions to customers because of their their own uh, exposure to plethora of technologies. Like you rightly said, uh, you know, customers are also more demanding today. Okay, they when when you go back to them saying that here is my big architecture where I will give you everything homemade and uh, handmade, uh, they would immediately question you why do you want to do that? Okay, it, it's it's more expensive today to do that. So that's that's the shift. Uh, today it's become more expensive. Uh, do everything all by yourself, and uh, you would rather do it with a plethora of uh, other tools that are available to you. Assemble them together to give the most effective and efficient solutions. 
but other than that i would say the basics of basic elements of in terms of computer science as to uh, what makes a good architecture that hasn't been that there is uh, mostly no change okay while while newer paradigms have got added to it and as as and when new tools have come up uh, we should also we would also be able to relate our fundamental knowledge to the to the tool you know if if i know that there is a uh, caching server there is a container i should be able to relate to what's problem what solution and what tool that mapping has to be uh, clear in an architect's mind today and uh, i would say architect needs to be on the lookout for all the tools that are emerging and uh, that that's the that's the shift uh yeah that's very interesting anpama that uh, you said that you know, there are so many new technologies and it is becoming more of assembling but uh, at the same time knowing what all is available what are the limitations and so on and you kind of preempted a question that i had in terms of what is that one key skill that an architect today needs which uh, i understood as being aware of what is available and then how can we quickly put something together so there are two questions that uh, came to my mind after that mm. now do you see a difference in an architecture for let's say a small organization versus a large enterprise that is part a and uh, part b of that mm. is when you take these architectural mm. decisions you know particularly in the startup space where you have done a lot of work mm. and you look at something like this uh, lean startup or mm. this fail early fail fast all those concepts where your architecture also you expect it to be mm. so what is the dilemma that an architect faces and then how have you addressed that how do you take decisions when some things are ambiguous one of the things with swan uh, that you asked about um, small and large enterprises Uh, of course there is a lot of in the way the customers uh, demands are in these two spaces okay before before even looking at what what will be the architecture that is of uh, relevance to these two uh, type of organizations uh, type of applications i would look at from the customer perspective um, these are two different uh, things right um, the smaller ones typically drive you towards uh, minimization of cost ease of use okay uh, low cost of maintenance uh, these these are these are typically uh, the requirements from the smaller enterprises because they they don't want to invest heavily or they don't have the required skills to maintain the applications through its lifetime the technical skill set required and all that are not available to them and being small they are very cost conscious the uh, large enterprises are typically less worried about cost while while that is changing right now but uh, they are less cost conscious but they have other uh, requirements pretty much uh, very higher order uh, requirements in terms of security uh, privacy of data confidentiality availability uh, which are of course uh, the other big difference is the um, user profile of the 
two different types of organization. The smaller organization typically involve users, specially skilled or a small set of users who are using your application. And they do it day in and day out. And they are the ones who are using it through the years. So there is a, a, that, that is the scenario in the small uh, organization space. In the enterprise world, their users are ever-changing. There's a large set of users. And therefore, the, the requirements are varying. The, what, what works for one user does not work for another user. And the uh, tra training levels, skill levels are all different. And therefore, uh, it's, it's very difficult to have one solution fit the entire uh, set of users. Those are the two set of challenges that exist. Okay, but with uh, what has happened with cloud, cloud becoming ubiquitous, uh, irrespective of whether you're a small organization or large enterprise, both want to leverage the cloud technology for their applications, maybe for different motivations and different reasons, but both nevertheless want to uh, go on cloud. The large enterprises typically still, the mindset is to have a private cloud, whereas uh, the smaller enterprises are more open to uh, you know, publicly shared cloud hosted services. So that's, that's been the uh, uh, demand and the differences in the two spaces. So that brings a different dimension of a challenge for the architecture of applications, especially if you are a product which caters to the entire spectrum of organizations uh, from small to large. Okay. Uh, Earlier, it was possible if, if I knew that my customer was a small organization, I could have a light version of my application, really. In the sense, my architectural considerations uh, were, uh, were catered to their requirements, and I would build an application keeping in mind their constraints as well. So they had hardware, hardware limitations. They had whatever other limitations they had. I would tune the application capabilities also to their environment and to their needs. And for a large organization, similarly, we would do it keeping their requirements in mind. We would have probably a different version or a different um, flavor of the product. Okay, today with cloud technologies emerging, the while the Basic requirements are segregated, like I said. Okay, people also need want to have a movement in terms of what is offered in the product. So, let's say a small organization starts out saying that I don't want any uh, my my application does not have heavy traffic. It has very limited number of users. I want uh, limited availability, whatever. And then they might start out like that. But as they grow, because of their awareness and availability of cloud services, uh, they, they will move up the chain and say, you know, can you add these as well to me? I want to integrate with a third-party vendor. Can you give me uh, integration services? 
now i want to do uh, you know uh, work with a large enterprise and I, i and therefore can you scale the application uh, to so many users so the the it, it has given room for smaller organization to seamlessly scale their businesses themselves and therefore they have the requirement to scale the uh, application as well along their al- uh, along with their business so they really upfront look for an application which will work for their small scale operations as well as a scaled out operation so that that becomes a fundamental requirement for them now so there isn't much that maintaining multiple flavors of the application with support for different uh, architectural requirements will become a nightmare for the software vendor and therefore more and more uh, softwares are evolving in such a way that you have a single architecture which caters to the breadth required by a small as well as large enterprises it also is advantageous to the software vendor in that your same product could be uh, serviced to a small organization as well as your uh, large enterprises so your market breadth also increases alongside as a software vendor so uh, that, that is where the architecture is moving towards today it's hardly you will find anyone who will architect specifically for small uh, organizations and large enterprises but the challenge that is now there is that earlier we could make a trade off because we said the hardware limitations are there i would do a certain set of things in my application so that it doesn't impact me uh, so we could actually the constraints and the trade offs could be worked out better when we were catering to small and large enterprises separately but today that's not the case we have to make sure that both constraints and trade offs have to be worked through through the scheme of whatever architecture that you are proposing so that it works for both that is the biggest challenge right so uh, say for example um, in a in a large organization right they 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 would say that i do not want to uh, put out my application out there on the uh, internet without appropriate client side uh, verification and validation so you need to have client credentials embedded into your uh, browsers or whatever and when and these uh, clients are uh, users are spread all across the globe now when you come to a small organization probably with limited set of users in the same location that it is hosted these people would say i don't want the extra maintenance of uh, maintaining client side credentials or client certificates or whatever mechanism of security that we propose so it becomes a problem for them whereas the other one is a requirement so this is the challenge that the architect will have so in all cases we have to think about how to solve the problem for a small guy as well as the the big brother so you 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 have to uh, you have to come up with solutions that work in both spaces seamlessly and that's that's a big challenge it's it's not it's not doable uh, as as first step 
in most applications um, because architecture all decisions then then probably that leads into your second question saying how do you go about making these decisions uh, typically architectural decisions are never either right or wrong for a given situation you look at the constraints that you have architectural constraints and the architectural trade offs and you actually discuss it out saying that if you are not willing to invest a lot in processing power then you should be able to live with slightly lower performance levels or or you you factor the application in such a way there are only small pieces which are uh, high performant and others can be performing low because your uh, processing power is limited so architects are always used to making decisions like this saying what is the constraint that i am working against and for that constraint what is the trade off i will make elsewhere and you take a consent from the customer buy in get the buy in and his understanding of the situation and then proceed with making your decisions okay whether you have uh, caching so if somebody says i want a higher performing application bit then i have an option to either say can you put a caching server extra server for caching i could do that right if the customer is willing and then my architecture will look different because i have to now provide for a caching server so these this is how typically the architectural decisions are made but today because of this um, you know blurring lines as to the requirements of a small enterprise versus large enterprise uh, one the lines are blurring because of their requirements of uh, seamless scaling the other reason is also services themselves are now externalized is uh, unstandardized so for example earlier the uh, small organization would have its own hardware limitations or data center limitations today they don't have any limitations when they go to an infrastructure vendor services vendor so they are on the same level playing field as any other large enterprise they have access to all the load balancing servers all the caching servers everything that could impact your architecture what is available to a large enterprise is also available to a small guy and in a toned down cost you know because there is a paper use model ubiquitously available now without incurring huge cost of an additional server uh, people can uh, afford and buy an extra load balancer Uh, for their application so because of this the one there is an expectation also to be done this way where a single architecture should work for both and there is also availability of services at all different service levels so you can afford it as well so because because of this uh, the decision making is is uh, becoming difficult because now there are no clear cut constraints there are no clear cut trade offs and it's even much harder to negotiate this with the customer up front so therefore you always have to uh, the challenge in the current uh, architect software architecture practice is to actually uh, cater to all your constraints 
without so much uh, room on the trade offs okay so that way it has become so much stricter it's it's uh, the diff- the job has become more difficult okay but uh, one thing that kind of uh, helps that cause i would say is the availability of these tools okay so uh, if if i if i can make my application session stateless okay then it would be much easier for me to deploy it on a single node for a small organization which just requires few users to be using the application whereas i can scale the same application using a uh, load balancer provided by the cloud provider and therefore i don't have to do so much to uh, actually the the effort wise there is much less to do in earlier case i would not only think through the two solutions but also uh, take the responsibility for implementing those two solutions today implementation is pretty much provided therefore the decision is still very important the decision to catch the right decision saying if i have to run this application on a single node versus 100 nodes okay what is it one piece in the application that i have to focus on how do i replicate my sessions and that is a upfront thinking that you have to do and make the right decision to keep the architecture open so that you make the right decisions in your application design so that it doesn't limit you to either the small application space or to the large enterprise space so that that is the challenge and that is the also uh, the tools available make it convenient provided you put the focus on the right problem to solve okay so the problem to solve has shifted what is the problem that you have to solve earlier you had to solve it in two spaces today you have to solve it for one seamless spectrum and therefore your decision making points are different what decisions you make are different today yeah thanks anpama that is a But, very very clear explanation of one of these questions that i always had actually this triggers more questions but uh, we are running out of time for this episode uh, a couple of things that i do want to talk to you about particularly you know the breaks that you said you took the first break and now again on a break and also in you know, a helping mm. other women uh, i think it's probably it merits you know, another you know, episode by itself so i would like to you know catch mm-hmm. you soon you know to have a conversation yeah. on you know those topics Sure. Those those are uh, topics uh, uh, closer to my heart as much as software architecture is. So yeah, I, I so as a I teaser for uh, no what might come in. Yeah. yeah. So as a teaser for what uh, we may talk about, um, you know, I is there any one tip that you have for you know uh, particularly women who take a break and who want to come back in how. can they keep in touch with you know what's happening with so many changes happening so that when they come back they don't feel completely lost maybe a short, a short um, answer so that uh, we we'll, uh, know uh, detailing in the next episode yeah yeah um i would say uh, there are 
few things that uh, women can do. Uh, first and foremost, I would say you shouldn't be afraid of uh, taking a break. Um, let me also add that I have been completely, extremely fortunate to have employers and companies that I worked with who supported me through my endeavor of doing this. Okay, uh, I have a, extremely good bosses, I should say, uh, who supported me in this. But even otherwise, I would say that you have to make up your mind that taking a break is okay. Even if you look at a career which is going across 25 years without a break, okay, uh, you will go through multiple uh, uh, changes or uh, transformations in the work that you do. It's never, never the same. Right. And even whether you are willing to uh, do the transform, I mean, uh, transform or not, whether you are willing to move from one to another, the, the technology space itself is so fast moving that the movement is uh, imperative. It, it is not it's not possible to avoid it. And therefore, in fact, if you look at it, if, if I have taken a break for about um, three years, let's say. What would actually you would be losing is that the on the boundaries of the three years, you know, you may not be able to connect those two. But typically, there would have been a plethora of technologies which has come and gone in between. Okay, so therefore, it may not impact you very directly. That there is that many times there isn't really a total continuity between everything that you are doing. There are always shifts, and therefore, if you skip one block in between it it should not really matter okay so that's 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 the second one uh, to take heart from and the third thing is while you're taking a break just be aware of uh, what is happening in the world even if you're not doing anything about it okay one of the things that i used to do is there are a lot of these um, conferences there are a lot of these events that are organized by startups or uh, typically available for a, a small fee or even free uh, uh, things that happen in around town. And make it a point to attend those so that you don't feel lost uh, when you are there. And take up any small thing that you could take up. There may not be so much of a monetary benefit uh, that comes from it, uh, or it may not be of uh, a level that you would want to contribute at. So if you are a if you are an architect, you might actually be asked to do something. Somebody might want some help in setting up a website or setting up a, a particular small uh, tool that they want to build. Okay, so it's it's important to feel interested and uh, be on uh, anything that is related to your your technology and things like that. So you may not really get the job that you would otherwise do in a corporate, but even at a, a, a task at a lower level is very, very good to keep doing so that you, you can get whatever knowledge or the linkage that you are looking for uh, will be there. And uh, the other one I would think is, um, it, it works a lot better uh, uh, if, if you can collect few more people like you uh, working away alone during that period. One, it'll collectively, you will still have uh, knowledge 
productivity, time, everything available. Um, and that also enable you to deliver bigger things than you would otherwise as an individual. And it works beautifully when, when many women are taking a break for a similar reason. Most women take break for maternity causes, I would say. So if, if there are other women with the same uh, reason, it, it really works very well to have a group and do something together. You learn together, you do together, and, uh, and you shouldn't feel any, uh, you know, uh, uh, jerks when, when, you, uh, when you start back again. And uh, I would definitely say the, the one break that I took earlier has given me confidence to take a second one right now. <laughs> so it, it, should be, it should be easier. Once, once you get into it, people would really appreciate how that works out. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Anupama, for uh, sharing your experience. I'm sure there may be questions from our listeners too. If we get something, we will pass it on to you. Sure, Chef. I, I enjoyed it as much as talking about it. Thank you. Thanks a lot. If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, Please get in touch with us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com. That is podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com. Please rate the show on Podchaser, Stitcher, iTunes or any other podcast client that you find us on. Please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show, do write to us at this email address, podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.